Dear listeners, what do we turn to when our regular life and social interactions are shut down? What do we fill our days and apartments with when you're working from home and you are not allowed to go outside after 8 p.m.? The medicine is music, be it to set the mood in the mornings while you write your daily to-do list, feeling happy walking to the market to get your vegetables, or to drag yourself out of a weird lockdown-induced funk. In the spirit of the powerful impact of sound, today's guest is Jelena Yegorian. The talented violinist has played major music halls all over the world as a teenager, recorded music with big artists as well as film music for Hollywood productions. In this episode, she talks about her early days growing up in Armenia, her professional career as a musician and artist, and how she started her side hustle Paris in Style, where she blogs about Parisian finds and most recently offers music therapy and concerts. How did I get to know her, you ask? Funny enough, we met through a meditation platform because we both didn't know anyone in Paris who meditates. So one sunny afternoon, we met at Café Charlot in the third arrondissement to talk about our meditation breakthroughs. And I get to hear Jelena's fascinating journey and everything about her love for Paris. For your daily dose of the sparkling Eiffel Tower, patisserie recommendations and classical music, you can find Jelena under her Instagram handle Paris in Style. Without further ado, please enjoy episode number eight of That's My Niche. And now over to Jelena. <laughs> Jelena, what's your job title? I'm a classical violinist, musician. So. <laughs> what, do you, uh, what do you say when people ask you what, what you do in life? Um... I say that I'm a violinist, but it's funny because it doesn't seem like a profession. It doesn't feel like a job. When I'm asked, what's your job? And I say a violinist, it's really like a big part of myself, of, of who I am. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't feel like a job. It's something I do so naturally and so organically. Yeah. And then to other people, does it feel like it's... Um, is it strange to see it as a profession? Because most people... For most people, it's enjoyment when they when they hear a concert. Yes. So people, usually non-musicians, are really impressed and they say, oh, it's so cool. And that's you're so lucky to be doing that. And but for me, it's it's different. I'm surrounded by musicians, obviously, at work. And for me, it's not something exceptional, but I'm very lucky to be doing what I love. So, um, but there's a lot of discipline and work involved. It's not just enjoyment. So what me, walk me through your, your upbringing. So I grew up in Armenia um, and I had that, you know, good Russian school education with violin, but it was, um, 
it was a connection. My mom is a violinist and she's the one that inspired me to become one. She wanted me to play the piano, but I was absolutely in love with the violin. So she allowed me to follow my passion. And I've been standing in the kitchen showing her when I was like five, when I started. And um, it was just such a love for an instrument and connection from that early age that I knew that's something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Uh, but yeah, I did grow up in Armenia and then music took me all over the world. I traveled with concerts, playing festivals, competitions all over the world. I studied in Amsterdam later on and then my family moved to the States, New York, um, where I also studied and then LA, Los Angeles, where I lived for quite a while. So what were you like as a teenager? What did those years look like for you? So um, it's interesting because to play the violin, it takes so much discipline and practicing. Um, so when I was a teenager, I was quite different because I preferred to spend my evenings with Brahms and Beethoven than party with the kids of my age. Um, because it gave me so much back to go on stage and perform. It's such a responsibility and I wanted to be prepared and I wanted to do it at my best abilities. So it was a lot of practicing. Um, and I, I loved what I did. So much of my teenager years were with violin, practicing, playing concerts, but then I got to travel the world as well. So it was, um, it was inspiring in that way. Can you talk about your transition to the States? Uh, yeah, my family moved to New York and um, I'm very grateful to America. And we just had elections in the States. And, you know, I don't belong to any political party because I, I don't get involved in politics. But I was touched by a message um, of our new president because... It's my story. My family arrived from Armenia without almost nothing to New York, and we were all given an opportunity to succeed. And America is the country where everything is possible and you, you can accomplish your dreams, where your dreams come true. And both me and my brother, we were given an opportunity for a wonderful education and my parents as well. You know, we worked hard for it, but uh, we got to where we wanted too and it's been a great experience yeah living there and i have a lot of gratitude to that country uh even though i've chosen france as my residence this past two years and i moved to paris but i've lived for a very long time 20 years in us and um i really cherish the time that i had there to study and to work so professionally with music What did you get to see? How did you get to experience the United States musically? Um, yes. So um, the scene, you know, studying in uh, those famous music schools in uh, New York was a great experience. And then I moved to L.A. where um, I played with the big orchestras there Um And, um, you know, a lot of film music is being recorded there. And I was very skeptical in the beginning because I said, I'm a classical musician. I'm not going to play film music. This is beyond my level. 
but it was very hard to get into the studios. And I started being curious and it took me actually five years to get my first uh, studio job. And I loved it because you work with a living composer, which doesn't happen in the classical world. Um, and you really see the film come to life. And mm. this is in a way, a good composer friend of mine once told me if Beethoven was alive, he would write film music, which mm. is so true because when you listen to that music, it's, it tells about times and I think film music is kind of the music of our times so it was really great I got to work with wonderful composers I also played with uh, different artists uh, from I don't know U2, Lady Gaga, Beyonce you know I've played on their latest records on concerts with them which is a very very great experience wow oh my god so um just out of personal interest so if you're in the studio because it's written music for somebody wrote that music for the film yes and then you see it all like when once it's done you you like you record it and then they do the rest and then once it's done you hear it all together yes so it's a very special process because Music is post-production, so the film is almost ready. It's one of the last steps, and it's very gratifying for the uh, director and for the whole team because there's so much work done before, and then when they get to the scoring stage, and these are big places, studios, scoring stage, what we call in those uh, studios like um, Sony, Warner Brothers, Fox, in LA, this is like a whole universe. You enter and then you go to a scoring stage and there's these musicians with microphones and we see the music for the first time because very often those scores are finished minutes before we start recording. So, and the director is there and they tell you about the mood and you also see a bunch of notes. So you need to sight read perfectly at once. And it is an incredible um, scene to watch and also to being especially when you see a hundred piece orchestra playing perfectly together at at first you know see i've seen the, the music so that's the process and you record and very often you just have few takes and it needs to be perfect and this is a specific talent that la musicians are known for all over the world that they know how to citrate perfectly as a very special um, skill that I had to learn. I remember the first time arriving there and thinking, how am I going to do this? I was very nervous, but I learned it pretty fast. It's just a skill that you look ahead always. You always read ahead. So you're not playing what's written, but you're playing what's written. And you're already looking ahead. It's that kind of mental Oh wow! Yeah, skill. Yeah. It's a very. It sounds like a super interesting process. Like wow. I mean, this is only in LA where you really get to experience that kind of um, that kind of niche, no? Yes, the, these recordings are done in LA and London. Mainly, these are two places that are known. But LA is definitely a very historical place for that, and being part of that process has been really a wonderful experience. Although I'm a classically trained, and classical music is uh, in my heart and soul, and that's who I really am. But I think that when you're playing good film music, it's very close to 
classical music. It's it's mm. also beautiful music to play. Incredible. It's a, it's a really good anecdote. So how did you end up? What, ha what happened uh, that you ended up in Paris? So I fell in love with Paris um, and I felt this connection. And as you can tell, everything in my life has been about connection, the violin. And then Paris, you know, um, I just fell in love with this city and I started coming here more and more often. And then one day I, I just realized that I need to try and live here and things just fell into places and it just worked out. And to be honest, sometimes I pinch myself. How did I end up realizing this is a dream come true? And I'm living in a way a dream as many challenges as it included, starting all over again and uh, the new beginning. And I didn't know too many people in my professional um, industry here in Paris, which you know I had to learn and it does take time. But um, I'm very grateful the way things kind of fell into places and to have this experience of living here for two years has been great. So starting over, that, uh, that meant um, that you also had to find a new orchestra to play for. Yes, exactly. Different orchestras. And I, and I do play, I'm... Uh, I do play in different um, orchestras right now and I've gotten to know uh, some people. Um, but, you know, it also pushes me to practice, play auditions. And um, in a way, it's a good opportunity for me to grow as a musician, to have new challenges, to overcome. It's very humbling in a way, you know, because in LA, I didn't have to prove myself. Everybody knew me. Um, But um, yeah, here I have to prove myself, and it's a good challenge. And I love challenges, so we'll see when it's gonna where it's gonna freak me. So you mentioned auditions. Um, I mean, for me, as a I'm not professional musician, for me everything sounds uh, pretty beautiful. What does a jury look for in an audition? What are the key points that a musician has to work on? Uh, you're asking a million dollar question actually right now because that's what every musician wants to know as well and that's what we're wondering what should we do and I'm actually taking this program that we were chatting about right before this interview that my friend organizes called Audition Rebels and his goal is to find the key points uh, how to make the jury vote for you and it's it's very hard nobody knows so Yeah, there's, of course, there's things like intonation, rhythm that are very important, interpretation that needs to be convincing and uh, quality of sound. These are four things that are, but I'm often asked this question, how to tell if the music was good or bad? Like, I don't know, I don't have the ear. How do you recognize? And my advice is always, if the music touches you, it's good. So it doesn't have to be classical music. It doesn't have to be very complex music. But whatever touches you, if an artist moves you and you can have emotions, it causes you to feel things. I think that artist definitely succeeded and that's a good music. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you don't, you don't know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so how many hours do you practice per day and what does this practicing look like? Do you have, do you have a certain structure? Um, Yeah, so, you know, I grew up practicing 
many, many hours. And classical musicians are known to, to play six, eight, ten hours a day. That was my childhood and life. But now um, I practice about three, four hours at least a day if I'm preparing for an audition or a concert, more. Um, but I find it helps to take breaks, uh, go for a walk um, after a couple of hours to just refresh and then come back. Um, I feel that helps because mentally it's very intense and you get tired and physically as well. But yeah, about three, four hours. So does this also have an impact on your neck area? Because at the way you're holding a violin, it's not like a natural. No, it's, um, you know, it's very relaxed position and there's no, no tightness. And that's the number one thing that we learn. Like you really have to be relaxed and natural, find your natural angle of your, of your body, the way you hold the instrument. But yeah, the way you move, you know, playing the violin, I don't know the exact number. I think you burn like 125 calories per hour. So it does take a lot of, it's like a workout. So definitely it leaves your body sore. That's why I love yoga and stretching. And I think, yeah, to do that self-care because it's also very physical. Like dancers, not maybe as much as ballet dancers, how they involve physically, but old violin playing is also quite physical. So. Mm -hmm. Now Jelena will perform a piece of Johann Sebastian Bach's Preludio from the Partita for the violin solo number three. To fully benefit and feel the impact of the piece, try to get in tune with the flow of your life and pair the sound with the highs and lows of your experiences. Music is movement and so is life. Now close your eyes and listen.
So you created a blog when you came to Paris. How did you, or can you tell us how you established established a blog? Where, what was the motivation, and how you created your following? Uh, yes, I love this story because. So I fell in love with Paris, and I took really time. I would come here a month, at least a month at a time, or sometimes few months. And I would take my time to explore the city, just get lost in the streets of Paris, go explore, cross all over Paris to eat the best baguette, the best croissant, try the new best restaurant. And I would meet people through it. I would meet chefs. I would meet locals. And there were times that I would just be drinking coffee in Saint-Germain-des-Prés and I would find this old man that lived all his life in that quartier neighborhood. And he would tell me what it used to be like. This is how I learned. Paris, what Paris is by the people that I met, the locals. It's been a really authentic and beautiful experience. And I love sharing Paris with friends. So I would do it every time uh, friends came to visit. I would introduce Paris to them and they would fall in love as well, seeing Paris through my eyes. And some of my Parisian friends even told me that I know Paris better than them and asked me for advices where to go eat, etc. So everybody was telling me, you need to do something with this information. And one time we were sitting with some friends uh, from Amsterdam that were visiting and, and sipping tea um, at a very nice hotel. And they told me, let's think of a name. And we said random names and one of them was Paris in style. And they told me, oh, that's a great name, but I'm sure that domain is taken. She looked it up. It was available. She made me buy it right there, right then. Although I had no idea what am I going to do with it? So Paris in Style was born. She gave me a notebook with a date and she said, now you, you start developing it. And I went back to LA that time. I was still living there. And of course, being a perfectionist from music, I, you know, hired somebody who built this website. And uh, yeah, I, I, I built a website about Paris where I was sharing my passion for it and tips and uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. Although I had no idea back then how it's it's gonna really work out and who's gonna follow it but yeah little by little it just unfolded and look now i live here <laughs> but were you really what did you set yourself a schedule how often to post something on your blog no although you know in many tutorials they were saying you need to post regularly but i kind of it was really for a hobby because mm -hmm. music was taking a lot of my time I I was very organized with it and I was posting and uh, there's so much right now involved in managing a blog. There's social media stuff and, um, you know, I had to learn. I had no idea what an SEO is when I, and like, I had so much to learn because literally I didn't know anything besides music. And I was so happy because I can manage everything by my uh, myself and uh, You know, even the, my tech guy was giving me compliments lately. I had an issue. I had to translate the website into French and I figured out how to do it, how to create a little French flag. And I was so proud of myself because I learned all that. And yeah, I just shared, you know, what came up, what I love, my favorite things. But I didn't really have a plan because I'm not a business type of a person. I'm an artist and I just followed my intuition. But this was also at the same time you also created that Instagram account or yes. was it before Instagram? 
No, Instagram. People were telling me Instagram is the first thing you should do. So I created it in the very beginning because, you know, it's very important part of communicating to people and reaching audiences nowadays. And then it just created the following naturally by sharing who... Yeah, I advertised and actually had, uh, yeah, I advertised and had some professional people helping me. So I I really invested in the very beginning. I invested into Instagram and posting and pictures. I even learned photography, you know, because of that, because I realized I need photos. And uh, it's it's been like one of my hobbies and interests of photography that I got into thanks to the website. So, yeah. Total side hustle. And then you also started to create tours. Yeah, when I moved to Paris, because I was working with tour guides uh, since I wasn't living there. But honestly, every time I was here, all of my friends would visit because I already had that reputation. And um, I would organize itineraries for my colleagues and friends. I would do that all the time. And uh, But when I moved here, I thought that, yeah, I should do tours because it would be so, so fun to share Paris with people so yeah Yeah. it's amazing um and then now the pandemic hits yes and during the pandemic um I realized that um some changes need to be made because I realized my um responsibility as an artist to share my music and then I thought I have this platform and above all it's even towards Paris and the tours, you know, it's seeing Paris through the eyes of the musician. That was the message. And music is such a tool. I think music has so many healing powers. And as a musician at that time, you know, I, we were all suffering because we couldn't perform and still it's very complicated, but people need music more than ever. So I thought, how can I contribute? How can I help? And how can I communicate music to people? So I changed my website. And now it's all around music and the healing powers of music. And I've been very interested in neuroscience and the impact of music on the brain. So I've been really learning a lot about it by accident books um, in the bookstores. that would just, you know, drop literally in front of me that I would just consume and learn so much and meet people that work in both um, areas. And uh, yeah, and, and now it's, yeah, it's about it's around music and the impact and just giving people access to music and yeah, it's beautiful powers. Yeah, so the silver lining of this pandemic is that we realize or we we appreciate art so much more than we do in our day-to-day lives. Yes, absolutely. I do believe in that because it's our basic need. You know, we need music. And if you look back uh, to the origins of music, a man, primordial man, started making sounds and making music before we started talking. So I think we can only communicate so much with words, but what what we can feel and communicate through music is so deep. It can really touch the deepest corners of our soul. And I think it's it's a very powerful tool. So I do hope that people turn um, towards music uh, in these times. And yeah, can you 
go a bit deeper into what it means to heal through music or what your projects are about? Or sure, I'd love that. Um, I'd love to. Um, so basically, I would like to decode. What I'm trying to is to decode classical music so that it's accessible for everybody because classical music has a bit of a reputation of being too complex and um, not really accessible, as accessible as pop music. But if you think um, uh, it's at the origins, it's the blueprint of all, all music. And uh, all music, it's just um, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, si. You know, seven notes. It's just those seven notes and nothing else. And all the pieces, pop, rock, hip hop, classical, they're created around those seven tones, which is, I think, magical. But um, yeah, classical music is around those same notes and the way they're put together and structured. So I'm trying to open that universe of the classical music and of us classical musicians, like how do we learn a piece? How do we understand the piece? How do we connect with a certain piece? What the composer was saying, is it sad? Is it happy? Is it, it's usually very simple, you know, emotions that we all experience and we all can relate to. And my goal is to just break those barriers that we often have in traditional concert setting you know where um public is separated and they come they listen they leave but i put that interaction into place where people can really hear the input and what it takes to connect uh with a composition and make it your own so that's that's my goal, yeah, with the website to and then to be able for the audience to really relax into this experience and it almost beca becomes a meditative experience, you know, on a very deep level, not just listening to a piece of music. Mm -hmm. Have you launched anything yet? Or when can we expect this project? Yeah, I've actually the website is ready and I already posted a video there. Um, and you know, the first uh, piece was uh, music of Johann Sebastian Bach, that is the blueprint of classical music, and it's it's so magical. Um, so and I also put playlists there that people can continue listening to, but I do break down that certain piece that I'm playing for solo violin. And um, yeah, I'm planning on doing that more and more, um, creating free content for people to connect. And then I have a, yeah, a YouTube channel for that and, um, and also, you know, offer experiences um, and events for people to attend. Maybe also online. Are yes. you planning on doing online concerts? Absolutely. There's online experiences available as well, as well as online lessons, because right now, in many parts of the world we're in lockdown and it's online it's very practical and easy yeah and we can connect all over the world with each other oh my god it's it's still i mean is this even real life i'm asking <laughs> myself sometimes it's very crazy yeah but also it's an opportunity because um i can teach any person all over the world and i can play for anybody through this online access so yeah 
Yeah, and before you probably would have done it locally, and now it's really like no boundaries, like no um, frontier. It's uh, global. Yeah, exactly. So I think something that actually this pandemic taught us, uh, without getting too much into it, that we're all connected. You know, if something is happening in one part of the world, eventually it's going to get to us. And I think more than ever, it's this awareness that we're all connected. And I think we need to use it in a positive way as well, that we can communicate music, information to each other. You know, each each person can contribute its their talents to um, yeah to the global kind of awareness. Yeah, and also do each other good. Um, in even though we're far far apart, mm -hmm. to even think about people are uh, who are further away. Okay, what else? Um, do you have morning and nighttime routines? Yes, I do. Actually, I do have morning routines because I think it's very important uh, to me how you begin your day. And, you know, so many times it's just your first uh, reflex is to grab your phone and be bombarded by the information. So it's been a couple of years, I think, two years that first thing that I do, I just meditate in the morning. And that's my absolute... Um, must do um the way to begin the day and set my intention for the day set the mood for the day at least 10 minutes and uh, if i can more so that's definitely my um, morning um, ritual and then i also practice yoga and that's the second thing i do after the and i usually spend around an hour um, you know around this uh, on this ritual and yeah That's the way I start. And in the evening, I don't really, you know, it depends if I have a concert. It's, yeah, I don't really have. I try to just uh, look back at the day and absorb all, everything I leave and then let it go and try to fall asleep. Other than that, that's much. Um, do you have any mantras? Um mantras you know um i i am such a recovering perfectionist <laughs> because that comes with the violin and the classical music because we practice so many hours it's like sports to stay in good shape to be uh, you know the best at what we do and many times it can get in our way because it becomes so judgmental so lately um a mantra that i really love is um and a lot of teachers i think um therapists are teaching this and all spiritual teachers i am enough uh, and i love this because and that's what i've been realizing also about my uh, paris and style um, project with music that we strive for this perfection but then it's not about that it's about touching hearts that's what matters it doesn't matter how perfectly you play each note but what matters is what who does it touch and in does it affect someone does so um a reminder of that yeah is to to say i am enough the way i am where i am right now i am enough mm -hmm. to take the tension out so what are your top three recommendations for paris um 
Oh, top three. It's hard to pick because I have a lot. Um, but number one thing that I advise to people before I mention particular places is Paris is not about the Eiffel Tower and Notre Dame Paris. Paris is about getting lost in its streets and sitting in a cafe and observing life go by, you know, sipping your coffee and just watching and just relaxing um, to, you know, trying to be Parisian and doing those things, rituals that Parisians sip their coffee and read the newspaper in a cafe. So I think it's very important. And many times people that come here, they have, a list of things they need to do and they run from monument to monument but they miss out on Paris they never get Mm -hmm. to know the real Paris and the real Paris begins on its streets so I think it's impossible to see everything anyway because there's so much to see in Paris Um, but I think my number one advice is always take your time to just walk around get lost find out this hole in the wall place where you can connect with the owner and discover you know and make your own Paris build your own Paris so that's number one um number two I really love my favorite area of Paris is Saint-Germain-des-Prés that's where La Belle Epoque happened and many um artists have lived and worked you can see the cafes where masterpieces have been created and the history of this quartier is very old so I really really love I think it still kept that village in the city mm-hmm. of old Paris, you know, spirit. So I think it's a really beautiful place. And the third one, probably um, it's there as well. It's Saint-Germain-des-Prés. I really love the Luxembourg Garden. And Paris is, you know, known for its gardens. Um, we're so lucky to have these green spaces where we can connect to nature. And I think, Luxembourg Garden is just absolutely such a special place and the Medici fountain there. I think it's the most beautiful fountain. And just sitting, resting, reading a book there is absolutely. And each time of the year, the colors change, you know, and uh, it's a completely different vibe. So it's it's a magical place. So, yeah, of course, the avatar is not important to you if you have it in front of your balcony door. I didn't know. Oh, you have it in front of your balcony. Ah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm lucky to see the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> You're like, why would I go there? I mean. <laughs> yeah, true. Why should you go? <laughs> but you know, yeah, if you ask any Parisian, they don't uh, go to the Eiffel Tower. It's not something that Parisians do. Maybe they can go dine there because there is a famous restaurant on it. But usually Parisians don't. Actually, I've. When I visited, I was 14 when I came to Paris with concerts for the first time and I climbed the Eiffel Tower and I hadn't climbed it ever since. But this summer when Paris was empty after the lockdown and there were no reason, uh, no um, lines, no tourists, I, I did because I thought I need to take advantage of this. I don't know where I can do it again to you know go up the Eiffel Tower without waiting in line. So I actually did. Uh, and it was fantastic but it's usually yeah long hours and it's not the first thing on my list to be honest i think it's more important to find the places where you can see the avatar because in so many i don't know like when sometimes when you take the the train or if you're in certain 
mm-hmm. rooftops or yes. hotels. The avatar says hello many a times. I don't know. I don't yes. Like on the bridges, like absolutely, absolutely. You can see a avatar from so many, uh, and the view is even better. And and of course, walking under it, seeing it sparkle, it makes me happy. Although I can see it from my window. Uh, I can see half of it from my window, but every time I see it sparkle, honestly, in the beginning of an hour, it still makes me so happy and I still feel that that magic, Mm -hmm. I will never get tired of it. It is so magical. I feel, I feel this, I feel the same. Like every time I see it, I'm like, it's a bit unreal every time. It's very beautiful. Thanks so much, Yelena. Um, We are... Very excited to see and experience your music and get in touch with it. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> and this was my chat with Jelena. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. If there is anyone you know who you think would be perfect for the show, recommendations are always welcome. For news, warm alpaca socks and Jelena's hotspots of the 4th arrondissement, head over to lebureau.com and I'll catch you next time with another episode of That's My Niche.